This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. China mulling a new export ban on rare earth magnets. That's as the U.S. plans to push a sweeping set of rules, calling for over half of all passenger cars sold in the country to be electric by 2032. Are the two countries on a collision course? And as the U.S. works to reduce reliance on China, will efforts like these actually dig the West into deeper dependence? Some lawmakers say yes. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Is China about to squeeze the global electric vehicle sector? That's as reports come out that China is planning an export ban on rare earth magnets. That's on the grounds of national security. These magnets are found in electric vehicles, wind turbine motors, and even military planes. As the U.S. and other Western countries push towards decarbonization, China looks to corner the growing market. That's because it currently dominates in the sector of rare earth magnets. According to reports, Beijing is updating its lists of industrial technologies subject to export controls. China releasing a draft version back in December. It's expected to be taken up as early as this year. Now, if that ban comes into play, it'll put a dent in the goals of the U.S. and Europe, which don't manufacture these on their own, leading critics to note a growing dependency on China. The news of China weighing a rare earth magnets ban come as the Biden administration unveiled new rules Wednesday. If pushed through, they could push nearly 70 percent of all new car purchases nationwide to be electric by 2032. Here are the details. The EPA's proposal would set the strictest tailpipe emissions limits ever imposed, affecting model years 2027 through 2032. The plan would represent the strongest push yet away from gas and towards battery-powered vehicles. Some lawmakers point out that it could lead to an increased dependency on the Chinese regime. Here's why. Electric vehicles and renewables are heavily dependent on critical minerals, correct? Yes. China accounts for 63% of the world's rare earth mining. Electric vehicles and renewables deepen our reliance on China, correct? Yes. In the U.S., the ability to mine for rare earth minerals is stifled by regulations. These minerals are needed for renewable energy products. Some in Congress want to loosen regulations to kickstart this industry. The GOP-led House recently passed a bill to do so. However, it's unlikely to get enough Democrats to buy in to pass the Senate, since the bill also aims to increase oil production, which top Democrats and the White House say they oppose. According to the International Energy Agency, China dominates the lithium market, producing about 75 percent of all lithium-ion batteries worldwide. But that's not all. The agency's data also shows over 50 percent of the processing and refining capacity for the key element, as well as cobalt, are also located in China. Both are crucial for EV batteries. The Lone Star State Senate unanimously passing a bill to prevent Texans from unknowingly propping up the illegal organ trade. Here's the latest. A bill aiming to combat forced organ harvesting, passing the Texas Senate with bipartisan support. State Senator Lois Kolkhorse says the goal is to prevent Texans from unknowingly becoming complicit in forced organ harvesting, meaning harvesting organs from victims while they're still alive. 
It's a practice the Chinese Communist Party has long been accused of engaging in. The bill achieves this by prohibiting health benefit plans from paying for organs that, or, that originated in countries where the risk is extremely high that the organ would come from an illicit source. The bill would prohibit paying for expenses related to organ transplant procedures or recovery if the organ is known to have originated in a country with a government that funds, sponsors, or otherwise facilitates forced organ harvesting. For years, China has been matching patients with organs at speeds that outpace standard wait times around the globe. In the U.S., it's common for patients to wait a year for a heart. Right now, over 100,000 Americans are on the national transplant wait list. Over in China, hospitals have secured a patient with a heart in four days, another with four hearts to choose from in 10 days, and still another with two livers to pick from in 24 hours. An international tribunal in London found Beijing has been systematically removing organs from prisoners of conscience by force for two decades. The main victims? Particularly the Uyghurs, Falun Gong, house church Christians, and others. Uyghurs are a Muslim minority from the Xinjiang region. Falun Gong is a peaceful meditation practice with followers spread across China and the globe. Beijing has been persecuting both, arresting, detaining, and torturing them inside prisons with numbers in the millions. I have seen firsthand hospital websites in English and Mandarin in China advertising hearts available, donors standing by, and members, friends, you know that nobody can survive a transplant like that. The Texas bill comes after a House bill aiming to combat the same crime. That bill is headed to the Senate floor, and if it becomes law, Americans could face more than a million dollars in fines, plus up to 20 years behind bars, if they facilitate forced organ harvesting anywhere in the world. Beijing and Washington are facing off at the national level, but on the local scale, the Communist Party has found robust friends in the U.S. A recent report reveals China's success in infiltrating the state of Utah. In some cases, pro-China officials delayed legislation that Beijing didn't like or supported resolutions that boosted its image. Here's a closer look. A deeply religious and conservative state has landed in the red trap of the Chinese Communist Party. That's according to an investigation by the Associated Press last month. It says up to 25 Utah lawmakers have made routine visits to China every other year since 2007. The costs, half paid by the Chinese regime. The CCP's tailored relation building has yielded notable gains. In one example, China-friendly lawmakers held off on a ban on Beijing-funded Confucius Institutes. China touts the organizations as language and culture exchange programs, but they're known for helping expand Beijing's influence overseas. The ban's delay came despite White House warnings about the program being a Chinese propaganda machine. In another case, Utah passed a 2020 resolution by a near-unanimous vote. It expressed solidarity with Beijing when the pandemic first began. A pro-China resident allegedly drafted language for the resolution. Meanwhile, the regime has also targeted American kids. In 2020, Chinese leader Xi Jinping wrote a New Year's letter to Utah fourth graders. Some lawmakers gushed about the letter, calling it remarkable, kind, and personal. They struck the same tone as China's state media. It quoted Utah students as calling the authoritarian leader Grandpa Xi.
What's more, China advocates tapped into the Mormon Church, which holds a major following in Utah as it seeks to grow in China. A key figure at play is Tao Wen Le, a professor at Weber State University in Ogden. While lobbying through Mormonism, he played matchmaker for Chinese and Utah officials. His efforts managed to defeat the passage of a 2021 resolution condemning China's genocide of Uyghur Muslims. A former FBI agent is now sounding the alarm. He says if the Chinese can succeed in Salt Lake City, they can also make it in New York and elsewhere. Australia, Canada and Britain have issued similar alerts. Brazilian President Lula da Silva is in Beijing with one thing dominating the agenda, trade. Earlier, he laid a wreath in Tiananmen Square. Chinese leader Xi Jinping welcomed him Friday in Beijing. Lula da Silva hopes Chinese investment will help get Brazil's economy back on track. Trade between the countries is already robust. China is Brazil's main trading partner, with two-way trade totaling over $150 billion. The U.S. stands as Brazil's second-largest trading partner. But now, Brazil is floating the idea that BRICS countries could establish a new currency to rival the U.S. dollar. The country is South America's largest economy. China and Brazil already struck a deal to trade in their own currencies and ditch the dollar. Brazil warming up its economic ties with China. The country's president is hailing a China-led multilateral bank as having the potential to make a global difference. The new development bank has great potential in that it frees emerging countries from submission to traditional financial institutions which want to govern us. Brazilian President Lula da Silva made the remarks Thursday during a state visit to China. Headquartered in Shanghai, the new development bank allows for loans between the BRICS member countries, namely Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa. Among them, China has been the major lender. Since the bank opened about a decade ago, Brazil has taken in more than a third of the total funding. Last month, the bank named Brazil's former President Rousseff as its new chief. That was days ahead of incumbent President Lula's then-planned trip to the U.S. A Brazilian lawmaker called out the appointment, calling the move an effort to make Washington declare war on the BRICS. Rousseff was removed from office on corruption charges in 2016. She openly hailed China's authoritarian model, saying the country would become the world's greatest economy. Calling Rousseff his close ally, Lula likewise eyes a partnership with China. That's despite saying he maintains a non-aligned position with both Washington and Beijing. News on the sports front. The Women's Tennis Association making a return to China this year. The WTA halted operations there in 2021, a decision to support Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai. The former world's number one doubles champion had accused a top Chinese regime official of sexual assault that year. Content related to her was quickly scrubbed from Chinese social media, and Peng briefly vanished from the public eye sparking international fear for her safety. Chinese state-run media later shared comments reportedly from her, saying she was safe at home. An English-language arm of another Chinese state outlet also shared an email, allegedly from Peng, to WTA chairman and CEO Steve Simon. In it, she withdrew her assault accusation. These developments prompted questions about whether Peng was speaking on her own free will 
or if she had been quietly disappeared and detained by Chinese authorities. The WTA later called for a formal investigation and an opportunity to meet with Peng privately. The United Nations and the White House made similar statements. But after 16 months of canceled China tournaments, the WTA now writes that Beijing isn't giving ground, concluding in a statement that we will never fully secure those goals and it will be our players and tournaments who ultimately will be paying an extraordinary price for their sacrifices. It went on to say the WTA has been in touch with Peng and are assured she is living safely with her family in Beijing. The WTA's decision to suspend events in China was expected to have cost the tour hundreds of millions of dollars. But since China canceled virtually all major events in 2022 because of the pandemic, the losses are likely more symbolic. Four major tennis tournaments are slated for China this year, including the Shanghai Masters. Germany's foreign minister is in China, and she came with a warning to Beijing not to use military force against Taiwan, calling that possibility a worst-case scenario worldwide. And a military escalation in the Taiwan Strait where, as I said, 50 percent of economic deliveries go through. That would be a worst-case scenario worldwide. Adding that Europe will find any non-peaceful end to Beijing's issue with Taiwan unacceptable. Conflicts must only be solved peacefully. A unilateral violent change of the status quo would be unacceptable for us Europeans. Her remarks come in contrast to French President Emmanuel Macron, who urged Europe last week to not get caught up in crises that are not ours with regard to Taiwan. Macron's comments drew backlash from the United States and Europe. China recently held live-fire military drills around Taiwan, following Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen's visit to California and her meeting with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. But similar to Macron, Germany's defense minister called on China to leverage its influence over Russia and help end the war in Ukraine. That is why I am also campaigning on this trip for China as a permanent member of the UN Security Council to stand up for peace in the world and help to ensure that the brutal Russian war of aggression is finally brought to a just end. She noted that only Putin could stop the war of aggression in Ukraine and pointed out that China has the most influence on Russia. In response, China's foreign minister said China was willing to continue to work for peace. But as for Taiwan, he said any country that recognizes the One China principle should resolutely oppose Taiwan independence. Communist China claims Taiwan as part of its own territory. That's despite having never ruled it. Germany is reviewing China's controversial stake in the Hamburg seaport. The shipping hub is Germany's largest port and Europe's third largest. But the decision could renew the political debate in Berlin over the risks of Chinese investment. Here's what's happening. Is China allowed to buy shares in Hamburg's Tollerat port? That's what the German economic officials are now reassessing. Earlier this year, the country's information security agency classified the terminal as critical infrastructure. That allows the German economy ministry to block purchases from companies outside of the European Union. Last year, Prime Minister Olaf Scholz gave the go-ahead to Chinese state-owned shipping giant Costco. The company was allowed to buy a 25 percent stake in the Tolerant terminal, less than the 35 percent it initially sought. 
But the green light still raised security concerns in Berlin. Schultz's coalition partners condemned the deal as increasing vulnerability to China. The Chinese foreign ministry responded to the latest review. A spokesman warned Germany to avoid what he called politicizing commercial cooperation. Hamburg is a key node in Beijing's Belt and Road Initiative. It's the third largest container port in Europe, with one-third of its cargo shipped to or from China. By land, it's also a major destination on the China-EU freight train route. Costco has invested in dozens of terminals around the world, with Hamburg being the last link in its European network. Coming up, why is the Chinese regime growing its presence in the Middle East? And what's in it for China when it comes to the Saudi-Iran deal? We hear from Arya Lightstone, former special envoy for the Abraham Accords, for more details. Those comments after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Next, we zoom in on what's been happening in the Middle East. Why is the Chinese regime growing its presence there? And how is Beijing benefiting from the Saudi-Iran deal? We sat down with Arya Lightstone, former special envoy for the Abraham Accords, for more. Arya Lightstone, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. Recently in the headlines a lot is this deal that the Saudis and Iran struck that was actually brokered by China. So to begin, what do you make of this? Well, I make of it the first comment that the United States administration says is this deal was in the works forever and the Chinese only swept in at the last minute. As soon as they tell you that, they're trying to uh, divert our attention from something. This clearly was not something that was in the works or ready to be done without the involvement of the Chinese. And that, I think, is the story. The Middle East, where the United States of America has had enormous influence for a meaningful amount of time, especially with their allies like the Saudi Arabia, uh, now have a agreement brokered by uh, the Chinese. That's devastating to U.S. foreign policy. And Arya, I want to get to the U.S. more, but sticking with the Middle East first, in terms of this you know, peace deal between Iran and Saudis, it seems right after that we saw these strikes in Gaza. So what's happening here? Yeah, nobody should think for a half a second that anything that Iran does on the international stage will moderate their behavior. They struck the Iran deal. They became a more uh, larger funder of terrorism than they were beforehand because they had more money to fund terrorism. They now have a relationship with Saudi Arabia. It's not going to moderate their behavior. It may deflect it away from Saudi Arabia. It sure is going to be deflected towards Israel and other Western countries. And so we're not going to see Iran change and suddenly become this uh, welcome guest in the community of nations. They're going to continue to try to hold their ironclad grasp amongst their people. And Arya, you mentioned in terms of the Abraham Accords, a lot of that had to do with the U.S. presence there. But in terms of, you know, this Saudi-Iran deal, what is China getting out of the Middle East? Why does China want this presence there? Well, this is a brilliant move by China. At the end of the day, energy is what makes the world go round. And in between Iran and Saudi Arabia and their relationship with Russia right now, China has a very strong hold on energy supply for the near and not so near future. And because China puts himself in a power position with Iran, Russia, and Saudi Arabia, China is guaranteeing itself the ability to fuel literally its future expansion while putting themselves in a position to cut off their um, 
challengers or enemies even, like the United States of America, from being able to have the fuel and the energy that we may need when necessary, what China has realized. And on that note, what are the broader implications here globally? So it's a good question. I, I, I do hesitate for any deal in the Middle East to be drudged on the first 90 days of that deal being struck. Uh, let's see where we're at in two years or three years from now. But certainly on a global market, I think there's sort of three key takeaways. Number one is China is not retreating. China is advancing. And people should be aware of that. Number two is the Middle East is getting whiplash trying to understand what U.S. foreign policy is. They see Obama's policy running to Iran. They see Trump's policy running away from Iran. They see Biden's policy running back to Iran. And they're like, what are we supposed to do over here? They're not interested in being involved in this ping pong game. They're looking for strong, consistent policy. And the United States of America has failed to deliver on that. And the third piece is you now have people who have been longtime allies of the United States of America curious whether woke ideology in the state will actually affect their relationship. So whether that's in Saudi or even in Israel or the United Arab Emirates, I think there are some countries that are looking to say, wait, do we have that level of comfort that we've traditionally had in a bipartisan fashion? That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.